Welcome to Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads on-air book club. I'm Heidi Kaiser. Over the course of 13 episodes, Severance Radio will dissect a single book, Severance, the satirical dystopian novel by Ling Ma. This book is a mixture of immigrant family story, corporate satire, and global health crisis. It's also the story of Candace Chen. Candace is a millennial first-generation American office drone who meanders her way into adulthood and ends up finding a world devoid of choice and feeling. During our live weekly radio broadcast, listeners heard an excerpt from the audiobook followed by discussions featuring literary luminaries, educators, and subject matter experts. For our podcast listeners, we leave out the book and cut straight to the conversation. Think of this as your own personal book club in podcast form. If you haven't read Severance yet, that's okay. These conversations are meant to serve as an accompaniment to the novel. Though, full disclosure, some of our guests, in addition to making insightful points, do indeed hint at plot spoilers. So read the book. Okay, got your book? Great. Let's get started. As Severance readers know, Bob, the religious group leader, reasons that the fevered aren't really alive because they die so quickly. What makes someone undead? Joining us to talk about the history of zombies are Catherine Fusco and Stephen Pasqualina. Fusco is an associate professor of English at the University of Nevada, Reno. And Pasqualina is a postdoctoral scholar in the Core Humanities Program at the University of Nevada, Reno. Here, two scholars of English literature investigate one of the most unsettling signs of the apocalypse in popular culture, the rise of the undead. So, Stephen, I know that you uh, know a bit about the background of zombies. And, um, you know, I think lots of us know the zombies mostly from or know zombies mostly from U.S. popular culture. But could you tell us a little bit about what you know about the origins of the term zombie? So the word zombie derives from a West African word that means something like spirit. But the idea of the kind of body without a soul or the, you know, the living dead comes out of the experience of uh, French colonial slavery in Haiti in the 17th and 18th centuries. So, you know, slavery dates back in Haiti all the way back to Columbus's arrival in the Americas. Uh, But the form of the zombie that we know really comes a bit later through French colonization. Um, It's thought that the idea of the zombie as this laboring body was conceived by enslaved Africans uh, who were kind of responding to the system of degradation and forced labor. Um, there's some attempt to account for these literal cases of zombies. So there, there are people who are reported in Haiti to have died and been buried and brought back to life. And anthropologists like Wade Davis and some others have tried to come up with medical explanations, some sociological explanations there's really no one convincing account. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you what some of the theories were. Yeah, so Wade Davis famously in this book called The Sermon in the Rainbow came out in the 1980s, claimed that there was this combination of kind of pharmacological substances that produced a coma-like state, but that's been contested. And, and really, I don't think that there's any consensus on what one explanation accounts for these cases. But to me, the more important aspect of the zombie is the mythology surrounding the zombie. Uh, not these literal cases of people supposedly being reanimated. 
Um, and that mythology is designed to respond to this condition of slavery, which reduces people to just laboring bodies, right? It strips people of their wills and forces them to work under the, the kind of agency of another. Um, there's a, a part of this mythology is that many enslaved Haitians uh, in the 18th century committed suicide to avoid slavery. And slave drivers allegedly scared the enslaved by saying that if you commit suicide, you will come back as a zombie. You'll be forced into the very servitude that you're experiencing now during your life. So zombification is framed as a threat to kind of keep slave owners in power. But I can see that it's really connected to this kind of historical trauma, right? Is this horror kind of connected to deep trauma? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a double-edged element to that horror side of it, which is that the kind of horror genre tied to Haiti has been used, I think, to demonize Haiti in, in the U.S. imagination. Um, but at the same time, it speaks to a, a very real experience for, for people uh, working under French colonialism. Well, maybe we can talk, I think as we talk today, we'll keep kind of hitting maybe on the doubleness of the figure of the zombie, but maybe we can talk a little bit about how the zombie gets into U.S. popular culture, because I know you and I both rewatched the 1932 horror film White Zombie, which is a Bela Lugosi film. Um, and that film is set in Haiti, Haiti, and it's very much that kind of image of zombies as laborers, right? Lugosi is playing, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but he's playing a character who is wonderfully named Murder Legender, uh, yeah. <laughs> who owns a sugar mill and he's using a zombie labor force uh, to work in his sugar mill. And there's this really gruesome scene where one of the zombies tumbles into the mill. And of course, that is a kind of, I don't know, like fantasy of a labor force where it doesn't matter what happens to them, right? There's this kind of grim fantasy there. Um, but I, I know, too, that that's part of a bigger trend, right? There was a kind of zombie moment in U.S. culture. Do you know a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, White Zombie, 1932, the screenplay of that is derived from a book by William Seabrook. comes out in 1929, titled The Magic Island. And that's thought to be the first book by a U.S. writer that accounts for zombies. Um, and in his representation, he kind of sensationalizes Haiti. It's, it's like this very exotic, other mysterious land, as it became in the, the 20th century in the U.S., um, but to Seabrook's credit, I think he, he grapples with that ties to those ties to slavery and to forced or exploited labor. Uh, he, he, there's one farmer in that book who tells Seabrook about this group of zombies that are forced to work in a sugar factory that's run by US, a U.S. company. Um, and this is during the important side note, this is during the occupation of Haiti by the United States from 1915 to 1934. And one of the purposes for U.S. occupation was to defend commercial interests on the island. And one of the big ones was sugar production, as it was in the 18th century, too. So Seabrook kind of ties it back into this forced labor, exploited labor element that you you get in the 18th century with, with Haitian uh, representations of the zombie. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I don't think we think about that that much today, but there is this through line in terms of kind of empire and imperialism across the zombie story, right? So if you are only thinking maybe about The Walking Dead or something like that, you might not get that. But, you know, across what you're discussing, and then I think even into our novel um, that we're talking about today a little bit, this idea of um, 
money and global exploitation and things like that are kind of really coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a number of other examples that I'm interested in, like Zora Neale Hurston in, in the 30s writes a book called Tell My Horse, where she is alleged to have taken the first photograph of a zombie in Haiti. Uh, what's the photo look like? It's it's a kind of lifeless, uh, muted figure whose eyes seem kind of rolled back in her head. Her name was Felicia Felix Mentor. Um, and she's thought to have been suffering from a mental illness. But Herson in the book kind of uses the zombie to work through the persistence of slavery or forms of slavery in Haiti during U.S. occupation. And also the persistence of slavery in the form of Jim Crow in the U.S. So she maintains that kind of social commentary or social critique, which I was thinking maybe, Catherine, you could talk about a little bit about how that kind of developed in the mid 20th century with George Romero and other filmmakers. I mean, George Romero's zombies, right? So um, I think almost everybody who thinks of a zombie, you know, in the contemporary U.S. pictures a George Romero zombie. His his zombies are kind of like the um, template for the contemporary zombie. And so, of course, that's from 1968's Night of the Living Dead. And I mean, I, I was doing some background research on that film, and it's so interesting. So, I mean, we know it as this huge cult hit. It was super low budget. Um, it was, um, you know, commercially successful. It made a ton of money. It's given rise to five sequels and also, um, a remake. And, you know, it also importantly gives us the idea of the flesh eating zombies. So the zombies, Stephen, that you're talking about are not eaters. And I really think of Romero as giving us the zombie as not a laborer, but an eater. Um, the kind of zombie as consumer rather than worker, um, or rather than enslaved person. The other piece, and I think this also gets us a little bit to what's going on in the Ling Ma novel, is that um, in the Romero films, he's always kind of starting out at the moment of crisis, right? Like the zombie takeover is unfolding already, um, and we have the need to create a new society. And I think that gives him a lot of room to do social commentary work. So, um, you know, in the little farmhouse in Night of the Living Dead, um, Ben, as a black man, takes on this leadership role in this white community, and there are power struggles between him and the kind of white patriarch fam, uh, white patriarch character, um, including kind of a battle over who gets to wield a gun. So, um, you know, definitely Jordan Peele's recent film Get Out is very aware of how um, Night of the Living Dead ends. Like he's really engaging with that at the end of his film, and so I think this kind of tradition of horror as doing political work, we really see there. Um, yeah, and I also just wanted to say, I one this is like an odd tidbit, but um, when that movie came out, the contemporary ratings system that we have now was not yet in place. So, you know, the idea that you might not take your kids to an R-rated movie or a PG-13 movie. And so, you know, if you think about older horror, like universal creature horror, um, that's the kind of thing that people were used to. And so little kids came to see Night of the Living Dead and basically were scared out of their ever-loving minds. So, I mean, really the kind of gore um, that we see in contemporary horror movies too kind of comes to us from that. So the one um, that I think Severance is most engaged with is Dawn of the Dead, which is a 1978 Romero uh, film. And that one is set almost entirely in a suburban shopping mall. And so the, the zombies there, his eaters are really literally um, giving us this image of 
consumption, right? So we've got zombies in a mall. And so the zombies do literalize this idea of, you know, destructive, mindless consumption there. Um, people might be a little bit more familiar with the 2004 Zack Snyder remake, but he keeps that, that remake also in a mall. You know, in what you said, I'm thinking that there's two forms that the zombie takes. I think one is the zombie as a victim, mm-hmm. somebody who's kind of devoid of their agency. And the other uh, as the zombie is a violent threat. Yeah. And to, to tie that back to Haiti, I think that the violence of the zombie is not really present in its original inception, except there's a figure by the name of Jean Zombie, who was notorious for being very violent against French colonists in the uh, Haitian Revolution. So the source of the violence tied to the zombie, at least in its original Haitian context, was as a form of you know expressing or establishing freedom for an enslaved population. Whereas in more contemporary texts like Romero, that violence is seen as like a threat to the social order. One of the things that's interesting about you saying that is like, yes, Romero's zombies are scary and destructive, but I think he keeps a little bit of what you're talking about because there are always sort of bad actors in the group of um, humans who are left alive. And um, often they are sort of figures of authority or police, right? The the mall cops, at least in the um, Zack Snyder remake that I looked at recently, but also the figures of the police or the military are often um, also kind of equally violent in his movies. And like you said, I think he maintains that spirit of social critique that comes out of that older context. It's, I think, shows like The Walking Dead and maybe Game of Thrones kind of partake in this mm. uh, less clear-cut social critique that Romero establishes. So maybe we can talk a little bit about um, the way the novel is engaging in all of this, because, I mean, as you and I have just traced, this is a really long tradition, and I just jotted down um, some of the recent zombie things, because um, in preparing to have this conversation, we were saying, like, is the zombie a little bit of a played-out trope, and what is this novel doing with it, right? So if you think about the early 2000s, that's when we have 28 Days Later, Shaun of the Dead. Um, You know, in 2009, we have Zombieland. In 2013, there's the film adaptation of World War Z. The Walking Dead started in 2010, and I think it just finished its 10th season and it's still going. You had the whole Pride and Prejudice and Zombies thing. So, I mean, what's your sense of, I mean, like, is, is Severance late to the party? Is it doing something new right or is is it just like why are we reading another zombie thing now Um, it seems late to the party in a way but at the same time given our current situation especially with the pandemic it seems incredibly prophetic Hmm. and i think that the zombie myth has been used and adapted a lot in the united states to grapple with moments when we feel as if our agency is compromised collectively So, you know, there's examples from the Cold War, there's examples of Nazis being framed as, or rather zombies being framed as Nazis. Um, So all these threats to the U.S. social order, I think, have been adapted um, into the zombie myth. And it it kind of makes sense that this novel has resonance right now, I think, because people are feeling the kind of threat to their economic agency, for example, um, with the pandemic. Yeah, I was thinking, my sense, I mean, we should should probably say that... um, she uses the term the fevered uh, in this novel. The fevered are not violent. Um, and I do think that's kind of interesting in terms of thinking about like what, who are the zombies in this novel? What is, um, you know, the zombie trope maybe doing in here? Um, 
because I do think you're right about lack of agency that in our little opening section, uh, we learn about the production of this gemstone Bible. I love that part. <laughs> and this novel seems super interested in outsourced labor, um, which does seem like it goes back to that like fantasy um, of the labor without agency, right? That um, there's a moment where the protagonist Candace is on the phone with a woman who's um, going to be selling the gemstone Bible, and she's very upset that workers are protesting their conditions. And she basically says, well, you know, what's the point of outsourced labor? What's the point of Chinese labor if I still have to worry about workers complaining about their working conditions? Right. Um, yeah, the so zombie is a perfect you know, laborer, right? Mm -hmm, there's no mm -hmm. agency, so there's no forms of uh, resistance or unionization or anything like that. I think also this novel does a, a really interesting job of attaching the zombie story to office work, mm. to consumption more generally with the mall setting, which is an echo of Romero. Um, and also to our, our addiction collectively to the internet and smartphones. She has released intelligent commentary uh, throughout this novel. I don't want to give anything away too much, but these are all reasons I think people should turn to this novel to kind of understand um, how in some ways all of our agency is compromised by the kind of social structures that we've set up. Thanks so much to Catherine Fusco and Stephen Pasqualina for that illuminating conversation about the mythology of zombies and the zombie trope in Severance. Severance is a 2020 Nevada Reads book selection. Nevada Reads is a statewide book club that invites readers from across the Silver State to come together and share in the love of reading. Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads book club, is produced by the Beverly Rogers, Carol C. Harder Black Mountain Institute, and Nevada Humanities. Support from the Nevada Center for the Book, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Nevada State Library, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Our engineer is Phil Corbett. Our writer is Sada Ortiz. Production by Lily Allen, Mir Arif, Stephanie Gibson, Kathleen Kuo, and Layla Muhammad. And I'm your host, Heidi Kaiser. Thanks for listening. Thank you.